opportunity to be here today uh, for your 34th anniversary. Uh, I share with your pastor Marvin a keen interest in preaching and theology and Martin Lloyd-Jones and numbers of other people who uh, we, we have common interests with. Um, I go back even further with your former pastor, Douglas Mott. Uh, we were ordained together uh, 10 years after that independently, but as we talked together as well, we both made a significant life decision in favor of a more gospel-oriented denomination. A few years after that, when I came to serve a Halifax church, Doug and I met uh, along with some others, including John Newton and J.B. Robertson, who you might know, uh, and uh, three or four others. We met every two weeks with a small group of pastors to pray, and, and that was one of the, the best experiences I've had in, in group prayer. And now both Douglas and I are retired, but still connected and still friends. And so uh, I know that as he and Anne watch now, um, and as we continue our friendship, we just praise God together for that. Finally, I have one particularly significant connection with all of you as a church. Uh, and that is that for one year, while I was a missionary university teacher in Romania, you supported us as a family Every month, with a significant financial gift, I think it was 2% of your offerings for the previous year came to us. That was almost 30 years ago, but we've never forgotten how your money was translated into ministry there in Eastern Europe. So thank you very much. For three years now, you can kind of roughly coordinate it with the pandemic, although that wasn't the cause of it. For three years now, I've been head over heels, stark raving crazy about the Psalms. It started out as an unusual challenge from a book, and the result has been a revolution in my prayer life. The book was by David Taylor. It's called Open and Unafraid. The subtitle goes on to mention the Psalms. He's a teacher at Fuller Theological Seminary in California. And at the, very book, at, the, at the very beginning of the book, he tells a story about when he was a student, an MDiv student at Regent College in Vancouver. He was taking a course in Christian spirituality from Eugene Peterson, who some of you might have heard of. And um, David Taylor, at the very end of the very last class session of this course, put up his hand and spoke to the class and to the teacher, and he said, you know, Professor Peterson, I, this has been a wonderful course in spirituality, and it's been so beneficial to us, and we've learned such a great deal. But he said, if you were going to just add one more thing to make it a little more practical, <laughs> what would that be? And Taylor says that Peterson, at the head of the class, paused for a moment. If you've been a teacher or a student, you'll probably understand the dynamics in that pause. Kind of the, the wondering about, you know, is this a question to be dismissed or to be answered briefly or to be answered not so briefly? Peterson paused, and then he said, Mr. Taylor, I suggest that tomorrow morning, when you wake up, 
you read Psalm 1. And the next day when you wake up, read Psalm 2. And the day after that, Psalm 3. And when you get to Psalm 150, the next day, read Psalm 1. And so I did. And as I say, it's revolutionized my prayer life. I, I learned so much about God. I learned so much about speaking to God. I learned so much about how God's people have been praying for thousands of years using the words from this Bible book. I realized right from the beginning, more profoundly than I ever had before, that this was poetry. I loved poetry once, back when I was a high school student, but somehow it got knocked out of me, and I got into prose, and especially nonfiction, and especially theology, and es well, you get the idea. And then I discovered, just recently, three years ago, that I liked Old Testament poetry. I loved the Psalms, how beautiful and evocative and engaging they were. How they could kind of pick up on the emotions that I was feeling and express them to God. How, how in, a, in a whole different way of thinking than I had spent years before doing, the Psalms were, were just touching to me and, and, and personal and important. It's not like reading a historical narrative like 1 Kings or the Gospel of John. It's not like reading a letter like Ephesians. It's not like, well, not like so much of the rest of the Bible. But along with other Bible books, Psalms is just wonderful, evocative poetry. They're also prayers, and, and those prayers were meant to be harnessed for our prayer life. There's a kind of magnetic power to being drawn into somebody else's prayer. King David's prayer, or the sons of Korah, as we're going to read in a minute, their prayer called Psalm 84. There's a power in being drawn into the prayers of the Psalter. It means praying with David, praying with those Old Testament, picture them in the, in the temple, praying together. Even when they didn't have a temple to pray in, they kept praying the Psalms. And Christians have ever since as well. And Jesus prayed the Psalms. Jesus knew the Psalms inside out. He quoted them all the time, as you'll notice that as you read the Gospels and check your footnotes maybe. Jesus died with the Psalms on his lips. And to pray the Psalms, for you and I to do that, is to pray with Jesus. Is to, to stand there or sit there and, and realize that Jesus is right beside me praying for me. As you've been learning in the book of Hebrews over the last little while. And the Psalms are such a glorious way to worship God. That the wonderful descriptions of God's nature and character, the wonderful praise for what God has done, they're just the, exactly what we need when we gather together as the people of God.
to sing the songs that have been sung for two or three thousand years. Or to say them responsively, which is what we're going to do now. Now, this could go horribly wrong because we didn't plan it very well. <laughs> the fellow who's going to press the buttons in a minute is nodding his head. It could go horribly wrong. But we're going to read it responsively. This half of the church is going to read the words from the first screen. And this half of the church is going to read the words that change to the next screen. Right? And then we'll go back and forth like that. I suggest that you read not like you've heard it a thousand times before, but like these are the very words you want to say to God today. I suggest that you read them not too fast and not too slow, but loud enough that, that people near you know you mean them. Let's try it. There they are. You start. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Hear my prayer, O Lord Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Well, as I look at uh, the time, I want to tell you ahead of time, just to give you a little bit of hope, <laughs> that the f there are going to be three points to this sermon, uh, and uh, the clue might be the title that you will see in a minute about being blessed three times. Uh, but know that the first point is twice as long as the second point, which is twice as long as the third point. Right? So it gets shorter as it goes along. You got it. Good. Blessed are those, says Psalm 84, verse 4. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house, Lord. In the broadest of terms, that means, and the psalm means, that the worshipers are happy people. That God gives a blessing, lots of blessings, in fact, to those who turn their attention to him, who, who give their praise to God. Happy are those who meet together at First Congregational. Happy are those who watch the service online. Those who incline their lives to worship Jesus will experience God's grace. Blessed are those who make God's presence a priority. Blessed are those who sing the Father's praises and who listen for the Savior's voice and who immerse themselves in the Spirit of God. Blessed are those who read and pray and sing the Psalms. Blessed are those who watch religious programming, who check out the latest YouTube videos that would be upbuilding. Blessed are those who worship and make it a spiritual discipline and a holy habit. Happy are those who show up at church today and worship God. Blessed are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. So that's the general meaning of, of that idea, of that verse, that blessing in Psalm 84.4. But there's an, a more basic meaning of it, a, a, a more limited one and a simpler kind of one. And that is that God blesses us as we meet together for worship here. For 34 years, people like you have been looking around at each other in this setting and in places before it and, say, who, and, and they say to each other, you say to each other, these are my people. These are the ones that I want to share worship time with, who I want to eat with once in a while, who I want to work with in various ministries, who I want to be on the other end of the line to encourage me and so that I can encourage them. For most of these years, it's been at this house on Selden Street. Uh, I happen to have been around briefly from time to time at First Congregational before it met here. In fact, I have one and only one memory of preaching here before. It's taken me 30 years to get invited back, something like that. <laughs> And I'll see you again in third. No. <laughs> uh, it, at that time, the church was meeting at the Boys and Girls Club um, on the Northwest Arm. Does anybody remember that? I kind of doubt it. Yes? Okay. Ah, yes, good. The, when I first went there, I, I was in awe of the, of the place. It was a, a, a large, pleasant room. One whole wall was windows and it looked out right onto the northwest arm. The day I was there was a summer day, and it was beautiful outside. The boats were just sailing along the arm, and it was, made a lot of sense when I looked back at the gathering place and realized that, that the chairs had been arranged so that the people were looking into this corner away from the the arm, they weren't going to be distracted by whatever went by through that window. But I realized that when I got up to preach, I would be distracted by those things. And so I made a special prayer. God, 
Like, help me from just to concentrate on this and to keep on going and to not be distracted by how beautiful that's going to be. And it worked just fine, that prayer, for 10, 15, 20 minutes until at a moment when I wasn't expecting it, an enormous, beautiful yacht just <laughs> drove through that window, practically. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and kept on preaching. Anyway. <laughs> but... But people have been meeting at First Congregational, people like you, for years. And they've done it because over and over again they've received God's blessing there as this psalm promises. You've sung together, or maybe in the middle of COVID you've hummed together or not even made a sound. You've shared together and prayed together. You've listened for God's word together. And the, within the familiarity of this place. God has managed to get a word in edgewise into your busy lives, your crowded mind. He's bolstered your hope. He's given us insights. He's provided you with fellow worshipers and friends. He's let you in on the holy mysteries that come from this book. He's strengthened your faith. In short, blessed you over and over and over again because you woke up, you showed up, and you kept on doing it. So it's no wonder we declare how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. This is the place where God has been discovered. And so we deliberately put ourselves where God is likely to be found, it's not magical. It's not that God particularly loves buildings. But God is committed to showing up, to expressing his love, to letting his word be preached with power, hopefully, that when we meet together. So it's no wonder we declare, how lovely is your dwelling place my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I'll seek you, God, urgently and actively and eagerly. I want to be there. I want to come to church. The old joke says, come on, get up. You've got to go to church. Come on, get up. Let's go to church, she says to him. No, I don't want to go to church. No, I'm too tired. Forget it. Not the right day. You have to go to church, she says. You're the pastor. <laughs> One of our children was at Peggy's Cove the other day and posted a video to prove it with the usual rocks and waves and maybe even a lighthouse. And then rather dramatically, just as I'm thinking, I'd love to be there. Just at that moment, a bird flies through the picture. And I thought, ah, oh, even the birds are at Peggy's Cove, and I'm here trapped behind this computer. <laughs> even the sparrow has found a home in God's house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Even the birds have found sanctuaries in God's sanctuary. The temple, I'm told, had pillars, and partway up there were these decorative 
flowers, some kind of flower. We even know the kind of flower, I forget what. The, and, and little things threading through them and on those petals, those flower, lily petals, the birds made their nests. And the psalmists thought, ah, oh, wouldn't it be good to be that close to God's presence? God blesses the worshipers over and over again. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. And so this blessing, this first blessing of Psalm 84 is for those who exult in God's presence. Blessed are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the poet, are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So, we're half done. There's a second blessing sung out in this psalm. Blessed are those, verse 5, whose strength is in you, God, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. The setting of the poem has moved from the place of worship in Jerusalem to the roads of Israel, to the pilgrims making their way to the holy city. Even though some of the travelers might be weakened by the journey, they draw strength from the God they trust. Even though there are many compelling demands for their attention, so many things they could do instead, their hearts are set on pilgrimage. They're determined to join the crowds that approach Jerusalem. They want to be in that temple. They want to be in God's house together. Already talked about that. But they're also committed to this life in between that is a life of pilgrimage. Christians are not only centered on a life of worship, they're also let loose in the world and always on the move. We are pilgrims on a journey, goes one of the songs that you might sing. And that image comes from the Bible, of course, from the Old Testament here in Psalm 84 and other places, from Jesus, who said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As you walk along behind and beside Jesus, you'll receive the light of God to help you. And follow God's example. This is uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Walking is a, an image that the New Testament uses over and over again for what it means to, to be a Christian, to follow, there's that image again, to follow Jesus. And blessed, says Psalm 84, 5, are those people like you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. This is true for each of us in different ways, of course. Perhaps your pilgrimage includes the hallways of Citadel High or NSCC or University with 
new possibilities opening up. Maybe you walk through office hallways or along the highways of business travel, adapting, learning, coping, wanting to follow Jesus as best you can. Others are facing health challenges, and, pilgr and your pilgrimage wends its way from emergency to diagnostic imaging to this to that and another specialist's office, and on it goes. Each of us is, has a, a path set out for us. Each of us takes choices along the way to go here or there, the road less traveled or the road more traveled, whatever. But on and on goes the walk of faith, the road of discipleship, the path of pilgrimage. The road twists and turns, but God assures us that those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage will be blessed with an unusual, almost inexplicable strength. Churches, too, are on a pilgrimage. We're not just in this as individuals. Churches are on a pilgrimage, too, from here to there, from a, a group who thought it would be wise to found this church, a constantly changing group, Yes, to you today, who are First Congregational Church. There's a changing group of pilgrims. Some are passing away. Others fall. Others come and join the trek with you. There are great and glorious views along the way. New pilgrims to welcome. Accomplishments to celebrate. Even threats and crises to deal with. Most of the time, there's just slow and steady progress. But you face as a church this call to be on pilgrimage together, to, to, to work together in ways that would be constructive and honoring. I mean, there's so much in our, in our human nature that that makes me difficult to live with. And maybe it's even true for you. And so it requires God-given God determination and strength to be different, to, to be encouraging to other people, to over and over build people up rather than tear them down. But churches survive and, and thrive on this continually through the years. The fact that you're still here is a witness to that. I heard those words at the beginning, didn't I? We're still here. We're on a God-given journey where there's difficulty along the way, as indeed there will always be difficulties. God will provide the grace needed. As we pass through the Valley of Baca, we, so, we said, the veil of tears, our faith in the Lord Jesus transforms it to a place of springs. Blessedness comes even, maybe especially, through adversity. G. Campbell Morgan sums it up like this, faith digs wells in the driest places and finds the living water. 
Faith digs well in the driest places and finds the living water. The people of God, the pilgrim people of God, says Psalm 84, go from strength to strength till each appears in Zion, till we reach the end of the road, the end of this earthly pilgrimage. There are blessings for those who persevere in Christian discipleship, who follow Jesus on the way, who take up their cross, always waiting for a resurrection that is sure to come. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, both the source and protector of life. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. That's also That's verse 11 in our psalm. As we walk day by day with Jesus Christ, as we strive to do his will, God says to us, blessed are those whose hearts are set in pilgrimage. There is at least one more blessing in this psalm, and it's in the very last verse, where the psalmist looks to heaven and addresses God, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The life of worship and the life of discipleship, the life of praise and the life of pilgrimage, both arise from ongoing trust in the Lord Jesus. And in response to that trust, God pours out blessings in your heart, in the church, and in the world. It all starts with faith in Jesus. Out of love, God sent his son. Jesus took on our own humanity and then took our sins to their death on his cross. Christ gave his life so that we could live forgiven and enlivened. As I have so many times before, I want to invite you to trust in this Jesus. To follow in this way of pilgrimage to praise God together week by week here at First Congregational. Dare to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, God in human form, and that he's accomplished what he set out to do, forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God, new life that starts now and lasts forever. Over and over, the Psalms encourage us to trust in the Lord. We would say, the Lord Jesus, take him into your heart and enjoy a real personal and profound relationship with God our Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So many good things come out of that, as the last verse of Psalm 84 says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord Almighty. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And blessed are those who dwell in your house, Lord. They are forever praising you. Amen.
this closing song together. Better is one day in your house. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul longs and even faints for you. is satisfied within your presence I sing beneath the shadow of your
living God Better is one day Better is one day Better is one day Than thousand miles away Yes, let's sing it out Better is one day Better is one day Better is one day Thank you, Lord, for your word. Engrave these, these words in our hearts, Lord. We may live, Lord, wanting, desiring to be with you, to walk with your people, Lord, until you call us. And to be trusting in the anointed one, the trusting, the chosen one, the one who you set apart to be our salvation. Thank you for the opportunity that you are giving us today to see your goodness, to see your mercy, to see your faithfulness. Praise you. We give you worship. We, we give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. And finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Come for one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.